Hello, it's Friday, April 23rd. I'm Daniel Williams, and this is the MGMA Week in Review, where each week we bring you some of the most important, interesting, and inspiring stories happening in healthcare leadership and medical practices today. We begin this week with healthcare advocacy news. HHS renews public health emergency for COVID-19. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra has renewed the public health emergency for COVID-19. This was effective April 21st. This extension will continue all telehealth waivers and other flexibilities pursuant to the determination. As with previous determinations, the renewed PHE will end 90 days after its effective date on Tuesday, July 20th, unless it's further extended. The Biden administration has previously indicated that it plans to continue extending the COVID-19 PHE at least for the remainder of 2021. To keep up with the latest healthcare legislation, visit mgma.com advocacy. So what's next for telehealth in 2021? While many patients report growing satisfaction with telehealth during the pandemic, the future of telehealth does still remain uncertain. A February 9th MGMA stat poll found an almost even split among healthcare leaders as expectations for telehealth utilization through 2021. 31% expected an increase, 34% expected no change, and 35% said they expect utilization to decrease. Similarly, concerns about reimbursement of many practice leaders in a wait-and-see stance on telehealth. The Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, MedPAC, recommends Congress and CMS temporarily continue some of the telehealth expansions under Medicare, but revert to lower payment rates. This was reported by Modern Healthcare. Additionally, a new article published in the New England Journal of Medicine by a team of healthcare policy researchers points to key issues with volume, value, and appropriate use of RPM services. The report says that RPM technology often lacks established standards for demonstrating clinical effectiveness in disease management. They also write that incentives for RPM services will vary between providers in predominantly fee-for-service models and those in alternative payment models, such as bundled payments. However, there has been a real-world success with RPM. Janice Coffin, Chief Transformation Officer, Augusta University Health System, and a guest on the April 14th episode of the MGMA Insights podcast, said her team went beyond video and telephone visits with patients during the pandemic by working with NavCare to begin remote patient monitoring of their most vulnerable patients, especially those with two or more chronic conditions. Depending on those conditions, the team would send patients certain equipment, for example, a pulse oximeter and blood pressure cuff for COPD patients or a glucometer for diabetic patients. 
as Coffin said, these patients would take their vitals every day, and that information will then be uploaded through NavCare into our electronic medical record. And with that data, patients' vitals were assessed based on clinical protocols, and anything outside of the norm would be flagged for a provider. Overall, this newfound ability to have close to real-time data on patients is a major improvement. Coffin said, in the past, if a patient of mine had diabetes or hypertension, they may see me every three months. But in that 90-day period, there's nobody calling them regarding important vital signs for blood pressure, blood sugar, or medication adherence. With RPM, they're uploading vitals every day. If things fall out of the norm, someone is calling them. So someone has a touch point with that patient in between the three months that I see them. You can hear Dr. Coffin speak at the Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference, May 11th through 13th, where she'll include an in-depth success story regarding RPM. You can register for the event at mgma.com slash Pathways Conference. I'll leave you today with a story from the Harvard Business Review, what psychological safety looks like in a hybrid workplace. This article was written by Amy Edmondson and Mark Mortensen. Since the pandemic changed the landscape of work, much attention has been given to the more visible aspects of work from home, including the challenges of managing people from a distance, including reduced trust and new power dynamics. But a far less visible factor may dramatically influence the effectiveness of a hybrid workplace, specifically psychological safety. So what is psychological safety? As defined in this article, it's the belief that one can speak up without risk of punishment or humiliation. And it's been well established as a critical driver of high quality decision-making, healthy group dynamics, and interpersonal relationships, greater innovation, and more effective execution in organizations. Simple as it may be to understand, when it comes to psychological safety, managers have traditionally focused on enabling candor and dissent with respect to work content. The problem is, as the boundary between work and life becomes increasingly blurry, managers must make staffing, scheduling, and co coordination decisions that take into account employees' personal circumstances, a categorically different domain. In the past, we've approached work and non-work discussions as separable, allowing managers to keep the latter off the table. Over the past year, however, Many managers have found that previously off-limit topics like childcare, health risk comfort levels, or challenges faced by spouses or other family members are increasingly required for joint decisions about how to structure and schedule hybrid work. So in this new work environment, what can managers do? Step one, according to the article, set the scene. Trite as it sounds, the first step is having a discussion with your team to help them recognize not only their challenges, but yours as well. The objective of this discussion is to share ownership of the problem. 
Step two, lead the way. Words are cheap, and when it comes to psychological safety, there are far too many stories of managers who demand candor of their employees, particularly around mistakes or other potentially embarrassing topics, without demonstrating it themselves or without protecting it when others do share. Step three, take baby steps. Don't expect your employees to share their most personal and risky challenges right away. It takes time to build trust. And even if you have a healthy culture of psychological safety established around work, remember that this is a new domain. And speaking up about buggy code is different than sharing struggles at home. Step four, share positive examples. Don't assume that your employees will immediately have access to all the information you have supporting the benefits of sharing these challenges and needs. And finally, step five, be a watchdog. Most people recognize that psychological safety takes time to build, but moments to destroy. The default is for people to hold back, to fail to share even their most relevant thoughts at work if they're not sure they'll be well-received. When they do take the risk of speaking up but get shot down, they and everyone else will be less likely to do it the next time. So as a team leader, it's important that managers view these conversations as a work in progress. As with all group dynamics, they're emergent processes that develop and shift over time. View this as a learning or problem-solving undertaking that may never reach a steady state. The more you maintain that perspective, the more successful you and your team will be at developing and maintaining true, expanded psychological safety. Keep up with the latest industry news by subscribing to the MGMA Insights newsletter at mgma.com slash insights newsletter. And if you want to become part of the healthcare discussion, you can join the MGMA stat panel by texting stat to 33550. If you have a healthcare story you want to share with us, email us at podcast at mgma.com. This has been the MGMA Week in Review. I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks and have a great weekend.